Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, one day, these little kids were asked what they thought of angels, and these were their responses. Gregory, who was five years old, said, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. <laughs> Henry, age eight, said, My guardian angel helps me with math, but he's not much good for science. Sarah, who was seven, said this, what I don't get about angels is why when someone is in love, they shoot arrows at them. <laughs> and then finally one more. Reagan, who was 10, said this, when an angel gets mad, he takes a deep breath, counts to 10, and when he releases his breath, somewhere there's a tornado. <laughs> well, during the Advent season, uh, the season of preparation that brings us into Christmas, our congregation here at Asbury has been journeying through a series of sermons that we've entitled The Characters of Christmas. The Characters of Christmas. Um, in these messages, we've been looking at, we've been analyzing, we've been exploring some of the various players of the Christmas story, hoping that by doing so, we will come to better understand the Christmas story in Scripture and also walk away with new appreciation for this remarkable sacred story in the Bible. Now, to catch us up, so far in this sermon series, we have talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah, and who did Elizabeth and Zechariah become the parents of? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, he got everybody ready for the coming of God's Messiah, God's anointed one. Uh, we have talked about Mary. We have talked about Joseph, and of course, Mary and Joseph were the parents of Jesus. Well, what all these characters that we've talked about share in common is they were all encountered either directly in the cases of Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph, or indirectly in the case of Elizabeth, but they were all encountered in some way by an angel. And so in today's sermon, we're going to look at one more angelic encounter, one more angelic visit, and that would be the visit that the angels have with the shepherds in the field that very first Christmas night. In this sermon, we'll talk about the appearance of angels, uh, not just in this story, but the appearance of angels in the Bible, and also how angels might appear to us today. And then after talking about angels, we will talk about the shepherds themselves who play a pivotal role in the Christmas story. So the angels and the shepherds. That's whom we're talking about this morning. And so our scripture passage comes from the third gospel, the gospel of Luke chapter 2, uh, listen carefully to these words. And to set the backdrop, Mary and Joseph at this point are in Bethlehem. They left Nazareth because of the census. They came to Bethlehem. Mary has just given birth to Jesus. This is what happens when Jesus is born. That night, in other words, the night of Jesus' birth, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. 
Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, in peace on earth, to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. The word of God for the people of God, to which we all say together, thanks be to God. Well, angels are all over the Christmas story, aren't they? And that got me wondering what people today in the 21st century think of angels. And so I did some digging around online. I went to Google. You ever heard of Google before? And I looked up various polls online. And according to various polls that I found, anywhere from 55 to 77% of Americans believe in angels. Anywhere from 55 to 77% of Americans believe in angels. And of those people who believe in angels, they're curious to know what the Bible has to say about them. So what does the Bible teach about angels? Well, the Bible contains roughly 300 references to angels. Angels don't show up in every page of the Bible, but they do show up occasionally. And there's actually a whole branch of Christian theology devoted to the study of angels. You know what it's called? Angelology. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's devoted to the study of angels. It's called angelology. And so according to theologians who look at scripture, study scripture, specialize in angelology, angels are these unique celestial beings, these unique heavenly beings. They're not God, but they're not human, and they've been created by God for various tasks. Now, sometimes that task, and this list that I'm going to share with you is not an exhaustive list, but sometimes that task is to stand guard, to stand guard. Remember after God banished Adam and Eve, the first people from the Garden of Eden, God placed an angel there to protect the garden to make sure that nobody came inside the garden and ate from the tree of life. Sometimes that task is to minister to somebody who's distressed. You may recall that after Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, uh, he had been fasting for 40 days. And so what did God do? God sent an angel to minister to Jesus in that moment. And God also sent um, angels to minister to Jesus uh, just before he was crucified. He was in the garden. He was about to be betrayed. Uh, angels were present in that moment as well. Um, Jesus also said that if he wanted to, he could call down the armies of heaven. And so there are angels who serve in God's heavenly army. Jesus also spoke about in the Gospels that when sinners repent, give their life to God, give their heart for God, that the angels in heaven rejoice and celebrate. They throw a party. And then, of course, all angels exist to give glory and praise and adoration to God. Uh, the Bible speaks about angels constantly worshiping at the throne of God. However, the task that the Bible most often associates with angels is delivering a message. 
delivering a message. In fact, in both Old Testament Hebrew, because remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. Well, in Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, the word angel literally means messenger. That angels are those whom God sends into the world to deliver a message to God's people. And if we think about it, that's what we see unfolding in the Christmas story, isn't it? First, God sends the angel Gabriel to who? To Zechariah in the temple while he's lighting incense there. To tell Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth is going to conceive, give birth to John. And then six months later, God sends Gabriel to who? To Mary in Nazareth to tell Mary that she's going to conceive, give birth to Jesus. And then later on, God sends an angel to Joseph in a dream because Joseph wanted to break off the engagement. But the angel tells Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then finally, the angel appears to the shepherds that very first Christmas night to announce to the shepherds that the Messiah, the King, the Promised One has been born among them. And so what we find in the Christmas story is also what we find in the rest of the Bible, that angels primarily are messengers. So that got me thinking, what's our experience of these heavenly messengers today? Do angels still come to us in ways that we may not realize to deliver a message from Almighty God? Here I'm reminded of what the writer of Hebrews shares in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 2, when the writer speaks about angels. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. The writer of Hebrews, and we're not sure who the writer of Hebrews was. We used to think it was the Apostle Paul. Now most scholars doubt that. But whoever this person was, the writer of Hebrews seems to indicate that when angels appear to us, they don't always appear as we would assume. In this big, dramatic, over-the-top, illustrative way. They appear that way maybe at some points in the Bible, but that's not necessarily how they always appear. Instead, the writer says that when they appear, they tend to show up in ways that are more subtle, less obvious, taking the appearance of an ordinary human being, just like you and me. And these seemingly ordinary persons give us a message from God. And I know of a person who's convinced that she received such a message from an angel. As a pastor, I have gotten to know a number of incredible individuals and families over the years and the congregations that I've been honored to serve. While I'll never forget one particular family, we have their picture up here on the screen, the Weber family, W-E-B-E-R, the Weber family. Uh, they're part of the last congregation I served before I became a part of Asbury Community of Faith United Methodist Church in Davenport, Florida, about an hour from here. Uh, this picture was taken back, I think it was November of 2019. I had the incredible privilege to baptize these three young women, Haley, Hannah, and Rihanna. But the person I'm going to focus on is this gentleman over here in the wheelchair, the uncle of those three young women. His name is Sean. And here Sean is being held by his mom, Carrie. Sean was not always in a wheelchair. In fact, one time I went to go visit Sean in the hospital, and his parents were in the room, Mark and Carrie, and they sat down with me. 
And they told me the whole story of how Sean got to be in that wheelchair. It was March 1st, 1988, about 34 years ago. And up until that point, Sean was a regular nine-year-old kid. He loved to run, he loved to play games, he loved to ride his bike, get in trouble with his friends, as nine-year-olds sometimes do. But on that day in March, everything changed forever. The Weber family lived on a farm up in Michigan, and they were in their barn with some friends, moving some incredibly heavy equipment. They had no idea that Sean was in the barn. They assumed he probably wanted to pop out of nowhere, maybe spooked him a little bit. Well, the equipment that they were carrying suddenly dropped. And before they knew it, they suddenly found Sean, and he was lying on the ground. They thought that he was playing a joke. They said, come on, Sean, get up. Stop messing around. Sean didn't get up. He didn't move. They knew that something was wrong. They immediately rushed him to the hospital where the doctor, who, as an aside, was also a doctor who attended to John F. Kennedy after John F. Kennedy had been shot, a very famous neurosurgeon, the doctor announced that Sean had sustained a close head injury. As you can imagine, that next year became the most difficult year that the Webbers ever had to go through. They had to transport Sean back and forth to various hospitals, specialists, rehab centers, facilities. Most doctors agreed that Sean would never be able to communicate, he would have extremely limited mobility, and that the best solution, they said, was to institutionalize him, not to have him at home. So one day, Carrie was driving to the rehab center to go visit Sean. It was June of 1989 by this point, about 13 months or so after the accident, and Carrie was barely holding on. It was so tough for her. And she was driving that two-and-a-half-hour drive. Imagine having to drive two-and-a-half hours to go see your child. And that very same day, the staff at the rehab center were planning to take all the patients, or as many patients as they could, to the Kent County Youth Fair up in Michigan. And so Carrie volunteered to be a chaperone, knowing that the person she would be chaperoning was her own son, because he needed that one-on-one -on -one attention. It was a beautiful day outside when they got to the fair. The weather was perfect. Carrie was pushing Sean around in his wheelchair, and while she was happy to be with her son, enjoying the outdoors, she couldn't help but think back to previous times when, as a family, they had gone to that fair before the accident. One thing that Sean had always loved were the roller coasters. So Carrie had an idea. She decided to take Sean to a kiddie roller coaster, not to ride the ride, but to simply have him watch the other kids ride the ride, and maybe he would get some enjoyment out of that. But strangely enough, nobody was riding the ride. Nobody was in line, even though the fair was pretty crowded that day. And all of a sudden, Carrie heard this voice behind her. There was this man who said, Miss, do you and your son want to ride the ride? She turned around. This young man was there in orange overalls. And she said, thank you, sir, but no thank you. I, I don't even see how that would be possible. Sean was all strapped in with harnesses to his wheelchair. He could barely hold up his own head for more than a few seconds at a time. But the man said, well, let's 
try to get him on the ride. See what happens. And so they got Sean on the ride, the two of them together. Carrie sat down next to him. And then the man said, I'm going to start the ride, and if it gets to be too much, just raise your hand, and I'll immediately stop it. Carrie's heart was racing. She thought to herself, what am I doing? I mean, what if he has a seizure? What if something worse happens? And then the ride started moving. And as the ride started moving, Carrie said, all of a sudden, Sean began to giggle. He began to laugh. He began to smile. She hadn't seen that kind of reaction out of her son since the accident. So they came around the first time, and there was nobody else in line, so the man let them go again and again and again. They ended up riding the ride four times. And by the time they were finished, Carrie no longer had to hold Sean's head up. Sean was holding his head up all by himself with no assistance. So they got off the ride, and Carrie said to the attendant, thank you so much, but sir, I apologize. I don't have enough tickets to account for all four rides. The man said, I don't want your tickets. I'm just so glad that I got to help give your son this experience. Then he knelt down, he touched Sean on the knee. He said, Sean, it was really nice to meet you. Carrie pushed Sean away. She turned around to thank the man once more. He was gone. There was a different attendant. And not only that, but there were now 40 to 50 people waiting to ride the ride that just a second ago was empty. This is what Carrie Weber writes about that experience. I believe God had sent an angel in the being of this young man to give me the sign that I needed to go on. He showed me that life could go on for Sean and us, that nothing was going to stop us from living and enjoying a normal life. With everything there is to experience and savor, God also showed me Sean was going to get better with our family doing the therapy and God directing us. God came to show me this at the Kent County Youth Fair. Amen. Now, was that man who mysteriously showed up an angel? There's no way of verifying that. There's no way of knowing 100% for sure. But I think that it's possible. After all, folks, God is just as active in the world today as he was thousands of years ago. Who's to say that Almighty God doesn't continue to send angels into this world? But while God may occasionally send angels, God's primary way of working in the world, this is true today, it was also true in the Bible, God's primary working in the world is through people, human beings like you and me, which leads us to another point, that just as angels can take the appearance of human beings, like the writer of Hebrews says, we human beings, by the grace of God, can act as angels when we reach out and we offer ministry and hope to other people. Three years ago, there was an older woman who was on a Southwest Airlines flight, and she was absolutely terrified about flying. Um, she hadn't flown on an airplane by herself in a long time. It had been at least 15 years or so. And she was just scared about the flight, and she was on her way to go visit family. Well, there was a man who was sitting next to her, and she told the man how nervous and scared she was. And so the man grabbed onto her hand, and he comforted her. He calmed her down. He told her exactly what was going on, and during turbulence, he even hugged her and embraced her. There was a passenger who snapped this photo of the two of them together. Not only did this man help the woman on the flight, but he also helped her off the flight. When the plane landed, 
he grabbed her bag, he put her in a wheelchair, and then he waited for her daughter to show up to pick her up from the airport. The people who took this photo quickly called this man who was never identified a flight angel. So just as angels can take the appearance of human beings, we human beings, by the grace and the power of Almighty God, can act as angels when we offer ministry and hope to other people. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, when Paul says this, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Jesus Christ? What is the greatest commandment according to Jesus? Love God, love your neighbor, in the same way that you love yourself, but we love others when we minister to them. We end up fulfilling that law by the grace of God. Angels show up in a profound and significant way in the Christmas story. But angels aren't the only ones who show up in a profound and significant way. The shepherds do too. And this is significant for a number of reasons, two of which I want to highlight. The first reason has to do with the reputation that shepherds had in the ancient world thousands of years ago. Shepherds were not considered a part of polite society they were required to look after their sheep outside the city gates. In fact, what did the shepherds say to each other in the story? They said, let's go to Bethlehem. They weren't already in Bethlehem. They were actually just outside the village because that's where shepherds were required to be. Shepherds were considered suspicious, untrustworthy back then. In many cases, a shepherd's testimony was not admissible in public court. And yet the shepherds are the first to receive the testimony about the good news of Jesus Christ? By including the shepherds in the story, Luke is reminding us that God's kingdom isn't just for insiders. It's for outsiders too, like the shepherds and like the poor classes that Mary and Joseph came from. The ground is level at the manger. None of us is better than anybody else. None of us is more important than anybody else. All of us are equal in the eyes of Almighty God. Robert Coles is a psychiatrist he taught at Harvard University for a number of years. I think now he's Professor Emeritus. But he talks about when he met Dorothea Day. Y'all ever heard of Dorothea Day before? She was a famous Catholic social worker who founded the Catholic Workers' Movement. Well, one time when he was in medical school, Coles decided that he was going to volunteer at the organization that Dorothea Day had founded. And he was pretty arrogant about it. He admits this. He says, here, now here I was in medical school, and I was going to be a psychiatrist, and I thought to myself, wow, I'm going to help the poor. This is so incredible. So he gets to the organization, and he demanded to go right to the top. He wanted to see Dorothea Day herself. So he asked somebody where Dorothea Day was. They said, well, she's in the kitchen. Walks inside the kitchen. Dorothea Day was sitting at a table, listening intently to somebody this gentleman. And at that point, he hadn't finished medical school, but he had enough training to know that the man was addicted to some sort of substance. He was all disheveled, seemed to be homeless, and yet Dorothea Day was listening to him as if he were the president. She was hooked on every single word that he had to say. So Coles waited by the door. He was getting kind of impatient. And then finally, Dorothea Day finished the conversation, and she stood up. She looked at Coles, and then she said to this to him, do you want to speak to one of us? Do you want to speak to one of us? You see, for Dorothy Day, because of her Christian faith, 
she knew that she wasn't any more important than the man that she was speaking to, which is why she assumed there was a possibility that Coles wanted to talk to that man instead of talking to her. None of us is better than anybody else. God's kingdom is for the outsider too. Shepherds being present at the birth of Jesus teaches us that. But the shepherds also bear significance for one more reason I want to highlight. In a sense, the shepherds foreshadow. In other words, they point to the cross and they remind us of the true identity of this child as the Lamb of God who had come to take away human sin. Shepherds understood the fate of the lambs that they cared for. They knew that a number of these lambs would go on to be sacrificed to atone for sin in the Jewish faith. And yet this child had come. Jesus the Christ as the final and perfect sacrifice that through his death on the cross, no other sacrifice would be needed. Or as John the Baptist would so beautifully say about Jesus when he was an adult, behold the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus had come as God's perfect Lamb to take away your sin and mine. There was this little girl named Vivian who was part of a Sunday school class. The teacher in the class charged all the students with making a banner. And she said that the very best banner would be displayed at the church's Christmas Eve service. So Vivian got to work. But then when she came home, she told her mom that her banner had been rejected. And the other kids made fun of it. Vivian's mom was all confused, and she said, Well, Vivian, what did your banner say? She said, My banner said, Mary had a little lamb. His name was Jesus. Vivian got it right, didn't she? This child Jesus, as the shepherds demonstrate, he was the lamb of God who had come to take away human sin. Thanks be to God for the angels. Thanks be to God for the shepherds. And thanks be to God for what the angels and the shepherds teach us about Christmas. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.